Alright, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the bi-rated TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by Carl Grice. How's things, Carl? Yeah, not too bad. Living the dream. Just had a check on Skype. 26th of September we last recorded. That's crazy. It seems so, so long ago, doesn't it? I know. Feels like I think- forever. We've broken our previous record. I think the last time we went this long, um, when I eventually sent you a message to see if you were ready to record again, you asked if I was still alive. <laughs> well, yeah, it is cons- there is concerns. Oh, there's a, I think the schedule may get a little bit better from here as some of these pay-per-views go sharply up in quality very soon. So yeah. I think we've got through the last of the dregs now. What do you reckon? Yeah, definitely. And I'll actually start having a day off from work, which would help. Nice one. Now the Christmas rush is over. Oh, yeah, it's been insane over here as well, so I definitely feel you on that one. But January's been a new month, and I've been at my watching of wrestling and recording best, so we're going to get back into the groove here. Now, the shows we're here to talk about today, actually, are very interesting. So the first one we looked at is Slamboree 1996. So this took place on the 19th of May in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the Riverside Con... Centroplex in front of a crowd of 7,791. This took place about a week, eight days to be precise, before the NWO angle kicked off famously, which I talked about on the last show. Um, Scott Hall debuting in the crowd on Nitro, so that sort of puts it in perspective time-wise for everybody there. And um, it drew approximately a 0.44 buy rate for an estimated 155,000 buys. The WWF show, however, took place both on May 26th in the Florence Civic Center, South Carolina, in front of 6,000 people, and once again on May 28th in the North Charleston Coliseum in South Carolina in front of 4,500 people. So if you are not familiar with the reason behind this, um, very quickly, this is In Your House Beware of Dog, and the first attempt for them to do this pay-per-view was completely destroyed by a massive storm. Um, if you watch this show on the network, you'll actually hear and see all about it. Um, talk about bad luck, hey, Carl? I know, definitely. Obviously, there's room, there was rumours that Bischoff did it on purpose, but I was pretty sure there was a massive <laughs> storm outside, which uh, didn't help. Yeah, no, it was it was bucketing. It looked like some good old Manchester weather to me. <laughs> Uh, so they obviously had a bit of a drop-off in crowd trying to do this again a couple of days later. Um, if you listen to my last show where we talked about Raw and Nitro, um, Vince obviously scrambled as best he could, and the show obviously took place on a Sunday, as the pay-per-views normally do. Um, on Raw, they basically told everyone, look, if you ordered the pay-per-view, we're going to do it again tomorrow night. Don't panic. Um, tried their best to avoid giving you know, millions of, well, not millions, obviously, but thousands upon thousands of refunds and to try and appease the fans in some way. What actually ended up happening was the first match aired fine. Then the storm hit right at the start of the second match. So that was all done. They, they continued to have the matches in the darkness in the hope that the generator would kick in at some point and the lights would come on and they'd be sort of mid-show and there'd be minimal disruption. The lights, in fact, didn't come back on until the main event, which was Shawn Michaels and the British Bulldog. We'll get into that later. But that's why when we talk through this pay-per-view, that's actually the second match on the show because on the network version, the first and the last match are shown from the first event um, and then the rest of the matches that were in between on the first night are re-taped two nights later and shown on the... um, Well, they were shown on pay-per-view, shown on the Coliseum Home video and now on the network version. So a bit of a tail behind that one, but that's the lay of the land for why this all went down the way it did. 
best estimate on the pay-per-view bias, by the way, which is a little bit hard to gauge, is... 0.45, 180,000. So originally this would have outperformed the WCW pay-per-view. How many of them got refunds and how many watched the the replay, we have no idea behind. So I would imagine that number took quite a quite a hit with all the pe- people they had to refund the money back to. What do you reckon? Oh, yeah, surely. Um, but it's just one of those things. You would have thought people would have been, still would have been happy with the, that they got the product in the end. I mean, bad weather's bad weather. But if people were willing to take a refund, then... It's a bit of a dick move, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only thing I can think of is maybe if you just bought it for the main event and you got to watch the main event and get your money back, then that would be a um, nice sneaky way to get some free pay-per-view. Yeah, but then you'd be missing out on Vader Yokozuna. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Which of these two shows did you actually watch first, by the way, Carl? Uh, I watched the WCW show. I remember watching it many years ago and same as what seems to be a bit of a running theme with the podcast. I always go with the worst one first and obviously the WCW continues the trend. I um I learnt the hard way this week. I'm watching some more shows for some upcoming podcasts and um I went the other way and I watched all the ones I knew I'd like best and now it's an absolute chore to finish off and get ready for these shows. I know. To be fair, on paper... Um, my memory of Beware of the Dog was, I remember it obviously with the disruption and whatnot, and I remember it not being particularly brilliant, but to be fair, watching it, and we'll go into it in a bit, obviously, it was, I was pleasantly surprised, to be perfectly honest. It was better than I thought and better than I remembered. These um, early in your house shows being the two-hour mark are really, really watchable. I'm, a, I'm not looking forward to when everything goes up to three hours, to be honest. Thankfully, it happens at a, a really good time in WWF wrestling, but they're very manageable at the moment, I'll say that. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, I watched Slambury first as well. So, should we head on over to the Battle Bowl and see what it's got in store for us one more time? Indeed. Dusty's baby. Hi again, everyone. Again, back in the control center, counting down to Slambury just two weeks from this Sunday evening. Live from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and available only on pay-per-view. Call your cable company now to get the hookup. This year's Lethal Lottery has blown a lot of folks away. 32 men, I mean count them, 32 men, 16 tag teams in all, squaring off against each other with the final four teams split into eight individuals for the Roth in Battle Bowl. That's the battle royal that'll determine the Lord of the Ring. Then that man, the winner, will ultimately get a shot at the WCW Heavyweight Champion during the Great American Bash this summer, this June to be specific, in Baltimore, Maryland. Now, the pairings have been strange indeed. I mean, you talk about friend against friend, foe versus foe. What about foe and foe as partners? Remember now, these men want to make it to Battle Bowl. Can bitter enemies like Ric Flair and Randy Savage coexist? I mean, we're talking about the Nature Boy and the Macho Man. Can they coexist against the likes of Arn Anderson and Eddie Guerrero? What about the Road Warriors? They're going to be on opposing teams. So will Scott and Rick Steiner. Here's a couple of brothers. Lord Steven Regal was to team up with the Belfast Bruiser, but you know what? He knocked him out in that parking lot fiasco this past week. Lord Steven Regal not a team with his good friend, Squire David Taylor. Plus, don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, the one-on-one meeting between the new WCW heavyweight champion, and I do mean heavyweight, seven-foot, four-inch, 468 pounds of the giant... He's going to be challenged by Sting. It all happens two weeks from this Sunday, May the 19th at 7 o'clock Eastern. Call your cable company, satellite dish owners, call Turner Premier or Direct TV. 
Don't miss Slamboree. As we said earlier, Battle Bowl or Slamboree, which is subtitled Battle Bowl, um, takes place in Baton Rouge. The commentary team, Tony Schiavone, Bobby the Brain Heenan and Dusty Rhodes, um, certainly gave me some hope for a few good laughs throughout the show, and they didn't disappoint. There was a, a few nice moments as they went on. And we go with that tried and true concept. I absolutely hate wrestling random draws because what ends up happening, and we'll talk about this as we go through, is partners get drawn against each other all night. And somehow magically, like in Royal Rumbles, when tag team partners always manage to come out one after the other, tag team partners always manage to get drawn in the same match. Yeah. Um, well, as, well, I can't think of a comparison of how unrandom the random draw is, but it's not very random. Not at all. So our first matchup in this Battle Bowl random draw is Animal teaming with Booker T. So, oh my God, a Legion of Doom member and a Harlem Heat member have been drawn together to take on Hawk and Lex Luger. Um, And of course, these three tag teams, Harlem Heat, Lex Luger and Sting and the Road Warriors, have had their issues in recent weeks and months. So definitely not random. Um, And the big sell here is what are the Legion of Doom going to go at it when they get in the ring? Will they fight each other? So we'll find that out pretty quickly, actually. The nature of this show, of course, being Battle Bowl and lots of tag matches to get through is we get a lot of short matches as well, um, which in some ways helps, in some ways hurts, depending on who's in the ring. This one gets started with a power slam from Lex Luger. Animal comes in and hits a clothesline, a power slam, and a shoulder block. Luger back on offense with a suplex before eating a drop kick from Animal. Booker T hits a really nice back kick and then a couple of clotheslines from Lex. Booker T hits a nice spinner and a Lex Lariat back before it was the spinner for a two. Hawk and Animal then somehow manage to double-team Lex Luger despite being on opposing teams. This breaks the match down into a four-man brawl, and we end up in the classic pay-per-view finish of a double count-out way to get the show up and running. What did you think about this one, Carl? Well, when I, thought, when I saw the people coming out and whatnot, and I saw Paul Booker T, he's got to carry three people here, as opposed to just the usual two. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say, yeah, we have this big premise of, oh my God, Animal and Hawk are on, the, are on, the, um, are on opposing teams, and uh, Animal doesn't even tag in. So then we've got Lex Luger carrying the team, so that's 80% rest holds, 10% armbands, and 10% screaming. But thankfully, it wasn't, let's say it wasn't too, wasn't too long. Good finish, but obviously it makes sense in schemes of using Luger later on, because what's the point of having him in these matches if he's going to play a role in the main event later? But, yeah, for saying it should be, but the people in it should be back, should be good, it wasn't a very good match at all. It was not, so let's waste no more time on it and move right along to our next random drawing, which is the miracle of the Battle Bowl. Public Enemy draw each other as tag partners, and they're going to take on Chris Benoit and the man that allegedly murdered him, Kevin Sullivan. <laughs> I can't yeah, even say that with a straight face. <laughs> random drawings. Random drawings. <laughs> I, I am kidding. Absolutely. Please don't <laughs> take that seriously. <laughs> um, but it, it is really strange to see these guys together on pay-per-view. Um, just, oh, It's just uncomfortable to watch, really, isn't it? Yeah. It's, um, yeah. it's a bit... Close to the knuckle. Uh, we get a, um, a flying head scissors from Rocco Rock to start off and a Hurricane Rana, which was quite cool. Um, Dusty Rhodes says, have you ever stomped a rock and tripped yourself? And I have absolutely no idea what the fuck that's supposed to mean. <laughs> Neither does. I don't think Dusty does either. 
<laughs> Chris Benoit hits a powerbomb just to just really get the match going here. We get a four-man brawl. Um, Sullivan uses what appears to be a chair from my grade six class for back when I was <laughs> attending primary school. <laughs> Chris Benoit hits a clothesline. Rocco Rocker suplex um, to Benoit out to the floor from the ring, which was quite cool. They brawl along the outside. Um, Kevin Sullivan and Chris Benoit get stacked on a table by the public enemy, and we get a flip over the top, but Sullivan moves, leaving Benoit to eat the brunt of the blow. They roll him back in and pin him for the one, two, three. So, as you would expect, the public enemy advance over the two heated rivals. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I mean, when you've got Sullivan and public enemy, you're not going to expect a Matt Classic, and they, and they went straight to the brawling, walking brawl style, which suits them. So, it wasn't as offensive as it could have been. Um, if they'd have gone, if they've gone crazy brawl from the beginning, I think it would have been a lot better. But four minutes worth of match, I mean, wasn't that bad? And the public enemy of a pinfall victory over Chris Benoit. There you go, some legitimacy as they head further into the tournament. Definitely. Our next match was one I was kind of looking forward to for half of it and dreading the other half, as we've got. Sergeant Craig Pittman, the Pitbull, teaming with Scott Steiner to take on the Booty Man and Rick Steiner. So as you can guess, I was absolutely not interested in seeing the Steiner brothers, but these other two legends of the ring, the Pitbull and the Booty Man, definitely got my blood pumping for what was going to be a five-star classic. Kimberly got my blood pumping. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the Steiners here in this era are just golden. They are so, so good. I absolutely could watch mid-90s Steiners all day long. No, I mean, to to be fair, even though we've got Pittman and the Booty Man in it, I'll probably say out of going in early, this is probably the match of the night for me, to be of the WCW event. But I think there's a bit in the middle you'll go into when Rick and Scott get into it with each other, which is, I could have watched that for at least a good 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get too far into the moves, though, one question I did have, and I really wish we could get a hold of Scott Steiner and put this to him, is what do you think the mathematical odds of this match being drawn out of all the competitors <laughs> for Battle Bowl are? <laughs> I'd, I'd love to hear his breakdown of the maths on that one. <laughs> That'd be uh, genius. The match gets started with a hammerlock from the Pitbull. Um, we get a bit of a, a hip toss and a knee lift from the Booty Man. Um, Scott Steiner hits a double underhook suplex and Rick hits a belly to belly. The Pitbull gets in on the suplex action with a German before Rick Steiner nails him with a clothesline and Scott and Rick get in the ring at the same time. They get stuck in as we sit back and enjoy. Yeah. Scott Steiner hits a lovely T-bone suplex but then eats a Steiner line from his brother. Rick Steiner ups the ante a little bit more with a dragon suplex, which was just awesome. Stein, uh, Steiner, Scott hits another uh, T-bone before they both tag out. And the Pitbull comes in and locks on his code red armbar, but Rick Steiner bridges out of it, then hits a lovely German suplex for the three count on the Pitbull. So Rick and the Booty Man advance over Scott and the Pitbull. Yeah, I mean, it's lucky the ring was in there uh, to stop Pitman's fall. I think Rick would have put him through it with his, uh, with oh, his suplex sure. on him. Stiff was a stiff was an understatement. Yeah, absolutely. This was actually a really good match. I think you were right. This is probably the match of the night um, for Slamboree. So highly enjoyable. But the Steiner's throwing suplexes. Oh, I just I can't wait until as I go through some of the TV shows, we get Steiner brothers up against some job guys just to see them really expand their suplex repertoires. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. 
We then go to our next match, which is another miracle of slamboree. <laughs> the Blue Bloods have drawn each other, um, Dave Taylor and Steve Regal, to take on dreaded rivals, Hacksaw Jim Duggan and VK Wall Street, the dastardly IRS under his new moniker. So, again, maths here, definitely. Um, whoever drew the names out of the hat for Battle Bowl, which I think it was actually Mean Gene from memory, definitely should have had a lotto ticket on this night. Yeah, 100%. Duggan starts the match with some classic Hacksaw Jim Duggan house show stalling, getting a USA chant going. Um, just basically eats some time that he doesn't have to actually do any moves. He then, he uh, we get started with a hip toss and a couple of clotheslines. Wall Street hits a few nice European uppercuts on the Europeans. Duggan and VK argue about something. Wall Street refuses to tag him. And Jim Duggan nails everybody, all three of them, tapes up his fist and nails Dave Taylor for the one, two, three. So not only do the partners not get along and Hacksaw is beating on his own partner, but he's still good enough to overcome the accomplished veteran tag team of Regal and Taylor in what was an absolute stupid, stupid ending. He looks like an absolute moron with a roll of tape basically hanging from his hand as though that's supposed to be the deadly weapon. Um, Please tell me you hated this as much as I did. Oh yeah, it was terrible. I mean there was a slight glimmer with the pose down with with Regal, which was the only slightly enjoyable bit. The rest of it like I say, the proper tag team doesn't go over the feuding team. Um, The worst use of a weapon, athletic tape, I hate it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, dud. Negative five stars. I don't even think you're being harsh there. That's um, (laughs) the first match in quite some time that I think I've had to rate on the Hammerlock scale, and it gets a solid six out of ten from me. Easy. That's been generous. Yeah. We then go to Dirty Dick Slater and beautiful Bobby Eaton taking on the Disco Inferno and Alex Wright. So Alex Wright comes out to no music because he's a jabroni and they don't care about him just yet. (laughs) Um... And he's basically in, uh, you know, he's he's in the ring before his music actually kicks into gear. So just a bit of a production snafu, nothing major, but it was pretty funny. Um, Disco Inferno's music, on the other hand, is comedy gold, and I will always love when that theme hits. Oh, definitely, it's a banger. We get some strikes from Disco and some European uppercuts from Alex Wright. A hip toss and a drop kick, followed by a leg lariat for a two count. Dick Slater hits a nice swinging neck breaker. We then go to the classic four-man brawl, which we're going to see a lot of tonight. This allows Dick Slater to nail Disco Inferno with a loaded boot and pick up the one, two, three with another crappy finish. Yeah, dud. Another dud. Which is a shame when you fast forward towards the dying embers of WCW and Alex Wright and Disco Inferno with the Boogie Knights. (laughs) <laughs> after his failed Berlin obviously um, naturally yeah it was another I love the fact that WCW just thinks let's just put two weapon finishes straight after each other um, 2 minutes 56 running time crazy yeah at least it was short but the loaded boot has got to be like I know we just basically said athletic tape is the worst weapon in wrestling history the loaded boot's got to be a solid top 10 candidate yeah You'll actually, so we may as well just kick them with it. Yeah, like, then, and then it's not illegal. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> I'm going to risk getting disqualified to hit you with something that I already have attached to a bigger limb. Yep. Uh, we then go to a match I was looking forward to, um, simply because of one man involved here. It's DDP and the Barbarian taking on Hugh Morris and Meng. DDP's really coming into his own at this period of time, so the more and more I watch of this timeline, the more I'm enjoying watching Diamond Dallas Page progress as a performer. So definitely was a little bit more excited to watch this than some of the previous matches. Um, and it is actually, this one gets a little bit more time than everything has done so far as well. So it's interesting to see as this goes on. Um, it gets started pretty early. Hugh Morris misses a plancher to the outside, and then DDP hits his beautiful discus clothesline for a two count. Meng and the Barbarian get stuck into each other pretty hardcore here, so the faces of fear exploding. Again, another mathematical improbability that has taken place at Battle Bowl, but we're probably beating a dead horse by this point. We get a double uh, clothesline, followed by a sidekick from Barbarian and a slam from DDP. Um, He then eats a Meng headbutt, and we get another slam from Hugh Morris, followed by a top rope elbow. DDP... um, Oh, I've lost my note here. Oh, so we... Basically, we had a top rope elbow spot, and DDP went to knock him off, but realizes they fucked up the spot and just gives up on the pin to get back up and go for another top rope elbow. So it was pretty poor. This then forces DDP to get crutched on the ropes, which was the original spot, but it came off really awkward and clunky, as my notes did trying to read it. <laughs> did you catch that spot? Yeah, it did. It looked, he elbow got a wad, then he went back up again, and yeah, it, looked, it did look pretty bad, to be fair. And the match kicks into pretty severe high gear here because the Barbarian hits a fucking top rope overhead belly-to-belly suplex like Kurt Angle and Shane McMahon at the 2001 King of the Ring. (laughs) Fucking hell, Barbarian, get in. We get a save on the pin from Meng, however, so this is going to keep going. A moonsault from Hugh Morris, so some more really big spots from the big men. DDP makes a save. We get another four-man brawl, and then the Meng and the Barbarian each big boot hit big boots and pin. The referee counts both down for a three, but decides that since Hugh Morris was the legal man and DDP wasn't, DDP and the Barbarian are going to pick up the victory and the one, two, three. So very, very weird finish that one. You wouldn't think, like if he knew which one was the legal man, he should have just counted one pin, but he actually, you know, quite clearly counted both of them. So I wasn't a huge fan of the ending, but the match itself was all right. What did you think? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Um, yeah, the ending is pointless. There was no point of having a the double pin with the shenanigans. Just have one person go over. Um, the most the bit that made me chuckle is every time Dusty Rose says barbarian, it sounds like it says barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> Which we have obviously with how the night going, we're going to hear barbarian quite a lot. He's certainly, he's certainly <laughs> putting a shift in, and he's peaking early with top rope belly to bellies. Um, I know. Yeah, it's just obviously again random drawings, and we end up with three people from the um, Kevin from the Dungeons of Doom all all in involved in the match. What are the chances? <laughs> what are the chances? No, very hard. Which takes us to our next match, and a little point that I've made on this. And I promise after this, I'll stop harping on about it. So, Fire and Ice are drawn together. What are the odds? And they're taking on Big Bubba Rogers and Stevie Ray. And I realised out of every tag team involved here. Hal and Heat are the only ones to not be drawn in the same first round match out of every tag team on the roster. I know, it's like it's like they went, right, we've got Fire and Ice together, but we're not going to do Harlem and Heat, but we'll leave Stevie Ray in it and we'll put Big Bubba, so let's make this, which potentially makes this match the shittest match in the world. 
<laughs> oh man, it's just yeah. At least put, this Stevie, is why put Stevie Ray in the first one, and then put Booker in this one. At least you've got someone who can actually work. Yeah, you would think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. A slam from Stevie Ray early, and then some chops and shoulder blocks from Scott Norton. Um, a big clothesline from Stevie Ray. Big Bubba hits a spine buster for a two. Another clothesline from Norton. And then we get a slam from the ice train and a senton for a two count. A double clothesline. And then Fire and Ice hit a double shoulder block for the one, two, three in another weak finish. Um, short matches, weak finishes. That's pretty much the tagline of this show so far. Yeah, it was, this match was terrible again. Um, it's finishing off with a double, like say, shoulder barge. Horrendous. Tony Schiavone even started kicking off about this match because it was just at one point it was the match of a thousand clotheslines. I didn't think it was ever going to stop. <laughs> but then, yeah, and when so when Tony Schiavone's calling you lane for clotheslines and whatnot, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, that was um, not a classic. One will move straight past, but one that had the potential to be a classic. The next matchup, another case of the random drawings here is Eddie Guerrero and Arn Anderson taking on Ric Flair and the Macho Man. So the two horsemen brothers drawn against each other and Flair and the Macho Man, heated enemies, um, the blood feud going on at the moment drawn together. So this was interesting. Well, this is the, the only match, that, the only one of these matches that actually had any kind of build. Obviously, I know it's random drawings and you're not supposed to know when obviously the, on the Nitros, this match was announced that it was going to be happening. But it's like literally, and we're going to this later, it's just every match, it's like match, 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 match. There's nothing. There's, I mean, there's sometimes we moan about something in between matches, but it was just, it was an onslaught. Yeah, absolutely. We could have done with a much, excuse me, we could have done with a much tighter um, format for this show. Something, you know, something to improve the match quality, something in between to give you a break from the matches. This was a very sort of, early WrestleMania-esque match card without any of the storyline build-up that got, went into all those short matches on the early Manias. Definitely. During the entrances, Ric Flair's music plays, but he doesn't come out. Macho Man comes out, and then Arn Anderson jumps the Macho Man, and Ric Flair comes out then and helps stomp him. So despite the fact that Flair and Anderson are on opposite teams, they're double-teaming on the Macho Man. And then Eddie Guerrero comes out and tries to break it up, so... A little bit of dissension from both teams very early on. Guerrero hits a drop kick, and then women, Woman and Liz sneak out from the back, so obviously playing up that they're scared of the Macho Man, that he's going to go nuts on them for spending all his money and driving him crazy recently. Guerrero hits a couple of backdrops. Flair hits a, um, a punch and then immediately tags out. Anderson starts working over the Macho Man. Big spine buster for a two. Um little sidebar I put during this match because I was running out of actual interesting points to make during some of these is, can you remember anyone in the history of wrestling that sells better than the Macho Man? He just has to be right up there with the best sellers in history. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was never comical or, you know, overstated when the Macho Man would sell, but no matter who he was wrestling, if he had an injury or a storyline issue, I mean, think like... Things like WrestleMania 8, where he just basically looks like he's been beaten to a bloody pulp by Flair. Oh, the man could sell. I just love it. Flair beats on the Macho Man some more. Eddie Guerrero comes in and pokes him in the eyes. We then get a drop kick. Um, Bobby Heenan puts Eddie Guerrero over huge on commentary, which I found interesting. It's not something I expected to hear, but he really does give him a big rap. 
We've got a Tornado DDT, and the Macho Man beats on Ric Flair a little bit before Arn Anderson comes in and DDTs his own partner, allowing Ric Flair to pin Guerrero for the one, two, three. It was a bit of a clusterfuck. It was mostly done to um, advance the storyline. And then after the match, Liz gets in and slaps the Macho Man. So it wasn't the best match in the world, but there was some interesting action, some interesting story, and it definitely advanced things going forward for a few different little storyline pieces here. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a good four minutes, a bit nonsensical with everyone beating their own teammates up and whatnot. Um, don't really understand if they were doing it, why Eddie and Arn were the ones who had to lose. Surely it would have been made a bit more sense for them to be the ones to progress. Because obviously when we do the next match, you'll see that just lead, it leads to nothing. Whereas you would have thought a logical person would have put, well... If we can get Arn and Eddie into that battle royal at the end, it gives a bit more credibility to the the card, the crowd, the people that are in it that, we, that they do have. But it progresses storyline, which is what it was there to do. And we got Liz and the woman. Always a bonus. <laughs> we then get a promo for the upcoming Great American Bash, which I'll splice a little bit in here. Obviously, this is going to be the big show where we have the, the Horsemen and the NFL guys colliding, so that's going to be an interesting one for us to look at next. Are you looking forward to that? Yeah, definitely. This ain't no picnic. It's WCW's Great American Bash. Forget the Backyard Olympics. We've got our own. It's a WCW Father's Day you'll never forget. The Great American Bash. Live and only on pay-per-view. To order, call your cable operator now. We then get Gene with three girls from Hooters that he hits on live on air. So, um, really, really, this is... Dirty Gene at his worst here. I love, love a bit of Dirty Gene. <laughs> and we get a buy for the team that would have faced Luger and the Road Warriors and that whole group in Gene's words. He couldn't be bothered learning who was with who for the show. Oh, no. And we find out Fire and Ice get the buy, so that will come in handy for them later on, you would imagine. We thought it come in handy, but then you also would have thought, again, why, why not give it to... Flair and Savage, so they move into the Battle Royal and they can still progress their storyline there. Now we're going to give it to the shit tag team who no one actually likes. And we find out Dick Slater and Bobby Eaton will be taking on Jim Duggan and VK Wall Street, so that will be another classic, I'm certain of it. Oh, yeah. We then go to our first ever WCW Cruiserweight title defence on pay-per-view. When you think WCW Cruiserweight, pay-per-view matches you may think of several classic names the one that might not come instantly to mind is the man defending the title or sorry the man challenging for the title here brad armstrong though in the early 90s he was a pretty prominent cruiserweight in wcw before it was a real division challenging a man that you will remember fondly from many of the title defenses and that's dean malenko yeah i mean brad brad doesn't get a lot of um, credit he did a lot of like a lot of stuff on nitro as Brad Armstrong or one of his many incarnations. Like I said, they always threw him out for like these cruiserweight matches. And to be fair, he never really did a bad job. No, Brad Armstrong was probably one of those guys that was just 
lacked a little bit of character and was excellent in the ring, which makes you wonder how the hell he was the brother of the road dog who was average in the ring and had an amazing character. Yeah. But it is what it is. Together they could have performed, they could have become the perfect world champion if they just merged into one person. Obviously they got sep- they got separate Christmas presents. One got the microphone and one got the uh, gym stuff. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. The match gets started with some good chain wrestling. Um, we get a drop kick from Brad Armstrong before Malenko goes to work on the knee. Um, slams him and works on the knee some more. Hits a lovely shin breaker. Armstrong gets a near fall off a sunset flip. Um, Bobby Heenan casually mentions that Nitro on the next episode will be going up to 90 minutes. So that's interesting there. Um, not something I was hoping would come this soon, but it is what it is. <laughs> Brad Armstrong hits a power slam and a missile drop kick, um, locks on a Texas Cloverleaf, which is the stolen finisher of Dean Malenko, so I can only assume he pressed L2 and R1 at the same time there. <laughs> Dean Malenko comes back with a top rope gut buster for the 1-2-3 in what was, I'll ch- turn things around here now, a fucking awesome finish. It was great. Yeah, it was very, it was, it was very good to be fair. I love, these to- I love the top rope gut buster. I love a Texas Cloverleaf when Dean does it. Um, we've got a stump puller at one point. You don't see that very often. Problem was, this match deserved more, but the crowd have had that much drivel. They didn't care. This really... I know I know it's hard with the tag team format, but this would have been perfect to open the show. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, that's a staple of going forward. How WCW you normally do it. They usually start now with cruiserweights and that. And yeah, they should have, they should have done it. I mean, the, the cruiserweight division... With with this, would probably nearly died. Could have died before it even took off. We want for Rey Mysterio, imminent arrival. It made me laugh at the start. Tony talking about the cruiserweight title was a lengthy double elimination tournament, but it was actually just one match with <laughs> Chris Benoit and Sinjiro Otani, which you could which you could find out. But in that day and age, but yeah, say good match, ruined because the crowd had gave up. From there, um, I know we're a week removed from the start of the NWO angle, but here and now we get an advert for Glacier. Oh, poor Glacier. I know. I love Mortal Kombat as well. It's such a great ripoff. I know. A lot of it. I mean, like you're saying, going back to Eddie Guerrero and him being bigged up and stuff, and you see all this stuff starting to build up, DDP, and it all just like, no, just push straight to the back. It's a shame, really. Yeah, absolutely. Gene gets another chance to hit on some girls live on pay-per-view, uh, and in doing so, they manage to draw out Public Enemy to take on Macho Man and Ric Flair, and DDP and the Barbarian to take on the Booty Man and Rick Steiner. So, again, some more big, big matches coming up along the way. Huge. We go to our next match, which is the one drawn earlier. Dick Slater and Bobby Eaton taking on Jim Duggan and VK Wall Street. Duggan and VK fight right at the start this time around. Um, Dick Slater and Bobby Eaton come in and jump on them like idiots rather than just letting them beat each other up and take the win. Uh, Dick Slater hits a Russian leg sweep for a two count. Uh, Wall Street hits a backdrop and an abdominal stretch. Um, Dick Slater breaks it up and Duggan beats the faces out of the ring. Uh, sorry. Beats... 
beats someone out of the ring, uh, hits a slam for a two. Wall Street hits a slam, argues with Duggan some more, and Bobby Eaton rolls him up for a one, two, three, and then Duggan chases VK Wall Street out of the ring. So Duggan, of course, doesn't eat the pin and manages to look strong chasing his partner to the back, despite the fact that everybody involved looks like a fucking idiot before that. You definitely... Not good. But at least it was short. Again. Could just probably have sent me that soundbite and I could just put that on about all these matches today and (laughs) save you half the work. (laughs) Oh, my God. Not good, but it was short. That that should be... That's another tagline for Battle Bowl. Yeah. Mathematically improbable. Very unlikable. So many circles on the network. Yeah. I know, I know, I know. It's... um, I, part of me likes it because I know I'm not going to have to watch a really long Jim Duggan match, but then part of me flicks her and sees that I'm going to see him multiple times and I'm not sure what's worse. Yeah, true. We go to our next match, which is Public Enemy taking on Flair and Macho. Macho doesn't come out this time, and Ric Flair comes out with the girls handing out Macho Man's cash. He then runs out, and he's followed by approximately 118 security guards. Um, they basically toss him out, won't let him come into the ring. Uh, Flair doesn't get in, and Public Enemy win by count-out. So, despite the fact that they never got in the ring and no bell uh, started the match, the referee sees fit to count them out, and Macho Man and Ric Flair, as you said earlier, two biggest stars in the tournament, are eliminated early and not going to be in the Battle Royal. No. Ridiculous. Yep. Um, This one wasn't good. (laughs) It wasn't short because it didn't actually get started, and it was a waste of everybody's time. Definitely. DDP and the Barbarian take on the Booty Man and Rick Steiner. Um, DDP starts chatting some shit to Kimberly, trying to get in her ear or give her a bit of stick. Obviously, the storyline not too long back where she left DDP to be with the Booty Man because he is such a desirable, uh, amazing specimen of a human being and women simply can't keep their hands off him. So definitely, he's looking good now. Have you seen pictures of Beefcake recently? Yeah, he's uh, looking pretty swole. Yeah, it's good to see he finally grew into that head. Yeah, I was going to say, I did want to mention the head. His head is particularly <laughs> giant. <laughs> um, we get a big backdrop by um, Rick Steiner to start with. Barbarian hits a big boot and Steiner hits a back suplex, followed by a second rope belly-to-belly, so not quite Barbarian level, but he's upping his game a little bit here. Clothesline for a two-count, followed by a powerbomb from the Barbarian. Uh, we get a double team on Steiner. The Booty Man hits a high knee, but DDP makes a save. Booty Man goes for a roll-up. Uh, DDP hits an elbow, and Barbarian reverses it four or three in a very, very Survivor Series-style finish, this one. The, the elbow drop enough to get the one, two, three. So another weak finish. It wasn't good. At least it was short. <laughs> yeah. Neither of us... At one point at the start, we have to... Um... You know, Tony trying to give a logical explanation as to why DDP's back following his retirement match. Saying since Johnny B. Buzz left and his match with Bootman wasn't for the title, DDP was under no obligation to put anything up either. Even though he did and went and still followed through with the obligation. He didn't have to. Okay. What they mean is we had a career match and then the guy that won it left anyway, so we're going to bring him back and just hope you don't pick holes in it. Yeah. Look, Scott Hall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you think as well, I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, Ball Bearing, he's having a right good show tonight. You would have thought it was like, you would have thought it was like the build 
for Barbarian, to be honest. I actually, I don't mind the Barbarian, me. I think he's pretty underrated. He was had a cool look. He had some good moves in his arsenal. Um, he doesn't get the um, the love later on that Haku or Meng gets now. And I don't know why. I always liked the Barbarian. I thought they made a really good team, to be honest. Yeah, he was the he was the better head shrinker. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was because maybe it was because Haku came back and had that amazing run with Rikishi in two thousand and one. Yeah. It really went somewhere, that one. God, definitely. Oh, dear. I can, I can, if I close my eyes, I can see Haku coming out of, at the, in the Royal Rumble. <laughs> I'm being confused. <laughs> he was the, um, I believe he was the WCW Hardcore Champion when he came out for that, too. Yeah, he was. There you go. Um, we go to our next title match, the second of three, and it's... Um, da, 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 it is... Conan Liger. Jushin Thunder Liger. I cannot. I'm having a nightmare with my notes today. We go to our second title match. It's Jushin Thunder Liger taking on Conan for his United States title, and Jushin Thunder Liger, being Japanese, comes out with Sonny Ono. Gotta get that payday, Sonny. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's, at least it's not on par with the um, the old World Cup of Wrestling um, Starcade where he managed every Japanese guy. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that. Why even go to the back? <laughs> <laughs> just stay out front, absolutely. We get some chain wrestling to starters as Tony Schiavone reminds us that the US champ is the number one contender to the World Heavyweight title, a storyline they very rarely use, but something that would make that belt seem more important when they f- fancied saying it. Um, can call bullshit on it, but at least they're trying. Sonny hits a kick on Conan behind the referee's back. Liger hits a baseball slide and a plancher before applying a brain buster for a two count. We get a armbar by Conan and an STF. Liger comes back with a surfboard and a camel clutch and goes into some really cool-looking palm strikes. They actually go backwards and forwards with those, which is cool. We get a rolling kick from Liger and a superplex. A top rope splash gets him a two-count. A drop kick off the top rope to the floor, but Conan actually hits him with a drop kick in midair, which was a really cool spot. Um, Liger comes back with a back suplex and a fisherman's buster for a two Conan hits the Alabama Slam for a two count. Liger hits a sunset flip and a sit-out powerbomb each for twos. A slam and then comes off the top rope but eats a boot. We get a power drop from Conan, which is essentially like a... Um, it's sort of a... Oh, what? How would you describe this move? I can't really, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for a Conan move. Yeah, it was all right. It was a... Um, Look it up. It was a decent finishing move, the power drop. I've got here in my notes, like, it was an edge with a sit-out, but I can't remember which edge's moves it looked like. I want to say it was off the um, the electric chair, but... Um, oh, yeah, no, yeah, sorry. It's uh, it's called a Splash Mountain. Ah, thank you. That is it. That's what it was. I was getting confused this... with the whiplash slam he did earlier. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, but no, this was actually a... Uh, it was a good move, a good match, a good move, good finish. I liked everything about this. What did you think? Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised, to be honest. Obviously, if you listened to me before, I'm not the biggest Conan fan in the world. But obviously, putting me Liger, Liger could wrestle a mop and put on a decent match. So, under 10 minutes, crowd actually started to pick up a little bit. So, yeah, it was pretty good, to be fair. I'm a big Liger fan, me, so I always pop to see Liger on pay-per-view. I 
really have loved everything I've seen of his. I'm not a huge... Like, I don't really go out of my way to watch Japanese wrestling. If it's put in front of me, I'll definitely watch it. But Liger is someone that's been on enough American shows that I definitely have always enjoyed his work. So this was a definite, much-needed, pleasant surprise in the middle of a really dull pay-per-view. He can't still be under the mask now, though, can he? It's ridiculous. <laughs> he had a good match with Tyler Breeze not that long back, didn't he? Yeah. The, um, yeah, when Tyler Breeze was good and looked after. Yeah. You mean when he was on NXT like everybody else? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, he's still getting paid. He's happy. And if anyone trolls him on Twitter, he fires back pretty harshly. So, well, not harshly, but he's just like, at the end of the day, I'm getting paid. I don't care what I do. And fair play. Fair enough. Yeah, that's how Fabian Delph was for for a few years. So <laughs> he'll never be as um, bad as oh, what was the guy's name that we had? Um, oh, bald guy played right back. We had him on contract for I think five years, and he barely played a game for the last four of them. Danny Mills. Danny Mills, yeah, and he slags us off at every turn, yeah. despite picking up despite picking up fifty grand a year for the fucking Olympic cycle without ever doing anything. The prick. Yeah, look at Richard. Look at Richard. Fifty Wright. grand a week. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Richard Wright. <laughs> <laughs> at least he had the decency to do a bit of coaching for his pay. Well, yeah. But um, no, Danny Mills, fucking hate that man. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, moving right along before we um Digress. start to loot. Start to lose some listeners who have no idea about early 2000s football. <laughs> um, we go to Gene with Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and the girls, and I'll splice this in again. Gene, thanks a lot, Mike. Yeah. Thank very much, Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, Mike today, Dusty Rhodes, all of us on hand here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, live for Slamboree. Please welcome, along with Woman, with Miss Elizabeth. The 13-time WCW Heavyweight Champion of the World, the Nature Boy, Ric Flair! He is accompanied tonight by the enforcer, Arn Anderson. They are synonymous when it comes to action here at World Championship Wrestling. Ladies, my plate is full, I don't mind telling you. I've been with the Hooter Girls for a while. Woman, always a pleasure to see you, Elizabeth, Arn Anderson, Nature Boy, Ric Flair. You have caused so much havoc, I don't even know where to start. <clears throat> well, let me, in a, a humble moment, give you a capsule synopsis of what has happened tonight. The nut, and I'm talking about Randy Savage himself, has got himself locked up right now downtown and goes in tomorrow for medical evaluation. He's one flew over the cuckoo's nest. He's gone. How about it? I don't know if this crowd is going to agree with that assessment. <laughs> Who in this crowd should have an opinion of what Ric Flair, woman, Miss Elizabeth, or the enforcer have to say about the game of life anyway? Savage, now that you're locked up downtown, look up in the corner of the jailhouse wall. <laughs> oh my goodness. On top of the Radisson Hotel tonight, double security, the enforcer, the nature boy, Miss Elizabeth, 
And woman, oh woman, won't you marry me now? I'm gonna rock the socks off of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And macho, there is nothing you can do about it. What, what, what kind of a party is that, Rick Floyd? It's gonna be a combination pajama lingerie. Me, Gene, you rode my first Rolls Royce. You flew on my first jet tonight, brother. Come to the first real party in Baton Rouge. Please, uh, the Rick Flair, on with the business. Now, one small other matter of business. There is a huge physical specimen in WCW whose name is Steve McMichaels. Now, McMichaels, last week on Nitro, you went from being a former four or five time all pro defensive tackle performer on a Super Bowl championship team to making <laughs> to making the damnedest thing I've ever heard in my life. He told the nature boy to back off. A football player talking to Ric Flair. Come on, brother. Listen up, McMichaels. Take it for what it's worth. I cannot back up if I can't get your wife out of my back pocket, brother. Wait, wait, wait oh, no. No, 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 no. She followed me around. Hold on just a second, Steve McMichael. Now listen, nature boy, you've been writing them checks on my person. Well, Mongo can cash a few on you, my friend. First of all, let me clarify something. Last week, you made the mistake of cracking on me, football boy. But I didn't have the enforcer with me last yeah, week. He's standing behind he's the enforcer, too. He's walked over more football players on the way to the restroom than guys you played against. And you know what? Let me tell you what I feel is going on in Austin. Lonely women like great lovers. Woo! Oh, for crying out loud. That, that is a slap in the face. Enough hey, is enough. Hey, 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 Mr. Mr. NFL, Mr. Super Bowl. You know what? I am Ric Flair. This is the enforcer. We're wrestlers. And if you want to get one of your old-time teammates, Richard Dent, Randy White, you want to get Jim McMahon, Brad Muster, get one of your old-time teammates. Get anybody. Walk down the aisle. Jump on. Oh, there's the a challenge. Enforcer. There's a challenge there. Ooh, and the nature boy. They've challenged you right here, Steve McMichael. What did he say? Did you say? Anybody I want? Anybody? Can you hear me? Anybody you want? Well, let me tell you something, my friend. It just so happens, I thought this might happen tonight. Let me tell you, I've got my first round draft choice here tonight. Who you got out there, Lawrence Taylor? I want to bring him out and show him to you right now. Mr. Kevin Green. Oh, my goodness, wow. Kevin Green. Former All-Pro, he was in the Super Bowl last night. I said retired players. You never said retired. You're not winning. Let's go. Kevin Green of the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, they want to get going. Kevin Green. Kevin Green, you see what happens when you get I'm right here. I'm right here, player, baby. Come on, let's rock and roll.
Wait a minute now, Steve McMichael, let's turn around and look at these television cameras. I want to assess this. You well, were challenged. Want, oh, he's not going to back in. I don't want you. them jumping on my back. We want to assess this. Ric Flair challenged you. He says, you get a partner, meet Arn Anderson and myself. You apparently have thought this thing over. You better believe it, baby. You heard me say, I've got a plan. Well, this is part of it right here, darling. We're going to take these boys on anytime, anywhere. Kevin Green, you, of course, have followed the career of Steve McMichael, and you've got a tremendous career in progress yourself. I tell you what, I don't say a lot. I do my talking on the football field across this country, baby, but this is one thing I want you to understand, Flair and Anderson. We don't come to play, baby. We're ready to rock and roll anytime, anywhere. You better put your jock on. And remember one thing. You better bring your mouthpiece, baby, because it's going to be an all-day affair. Thank you very much, Tom. Steve McMichael. And, of course, Kevin Green, the bombshell tonight. Flair Anderson and the girls are in the back. Security, come on. Let's go that you get a hold of this man. Cody, somebody get back to you. Please. Well, there you see it, Gene. Thanks a lot. And uh, security officers in there. Steve McMichael and his wife are here enjoying Slamboree. Of course, they'll be in Monroe, Louisiana tomorrow night for WCW Monday Nitro. He got the call out by Flair. He brought out Kevin Green, the former All-Pro with the defending AFC champion Pittsburgh Steelers. Of course, picked up by the Carolina Panthers during the offseason as a free agent. And I tell you, what an event that's going to be if signed. Yeah, and... They cut a good promo on the Macho Man, but that's not really the highlight of this. They basically then start talking trash about Mongo, which brings Mongo out, and then he brings out his partner after they challenge him, and that is current Super Bowl champion Kevin Green. Uh, Ric Flair and Arn Anderson get the hell out of there, and then security comes in and stops it escalating, but the challenge has been set for the next pay-per-view, and I'm really looking forward to that match, actually. I don't think it's going to be a classic by any stretch, but two big names from the NFL taking on two of the horsemen. I'm very excited to see how that pans out. Uh, yeah, it could be could be interesting. I mean, they put them in. They couldn't. You couldn't have two better opponents in Ric Flair and Arn Anderson to carry it. To be perfectly honest, so can't be that bad. No, I think it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to um, six months' time when we get online and review it. <laughs> yeah, I thought Kevin Green. The Kevin Green bit was horrendous. Just get shot and tell him to rock and roll over and over and over again. Oh, yeah, he's not a good promo by any stretch, nor is Mongo for that matter, but they add such legitimacy and come across as so credible that I think the crowd doesn't really give a shit, to be honest. Yeah. We then go to the culmination of many, many short, crappy matches, and that's the Battle Roll, Battle, Battle Roll, Battle Bowl, eight-man Battle Royal. Fuck, that's a... A real sentence to try and get out. Um, Eight-man battle royal is something that like was really confined just to um, the limitations of um, early gaming consoles. There's no purpose behind having an eight-man battle royal. It's just such a stupid fucking idea. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could have quite, quite literally had had them had the first round matches and then have everybody in, and then put other matches on of better abilities with better people yeah. in it. When you've got a field of Booker T, Lex Luger, Ric Flair, Randy Savage, Arn Anderson, Eddie Guerrero, even Disco Inferno at a stretch, and then you end up with Scott Norton, Ice Train, Dirty Dick Slater, Robbie, and DDP Barbarian, and the fucking public enemy. Something's gone very wrong. This just, this just <laughs> screams like, this is why WCW was in the pits. And the fact that the winner of this match was supposed to get a title shot, and then when, when you look at the eight, you were literally like, Who? 
<laughs> expecting the Cardi to come out or something. <laughs> you don't see Dick Slater and the Giant headlining the next pay-per-view. God, no. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the list of competitors. Um, Barbarian comes out screaming who's next, and somewhere at home, Goldberg's taking notes, preparing his character. <laughs> We, of course, start with an eight-man brawl, as you would expect. We get a big boot from Barbarian. DDP goes over the top. One foot touches the floor, a la Shawn Michaels, but not both feet, and he gets himself back in the ring with Tony Schiavone yelling, he should be out. There's no both feet rule here, so uh, there you go. Get a couple of slams from the ice trade before Barbarian tosses out Rocco Rock. Dick Slater dumps out Bobby Eaton. Uh, Bobby Eaton nails Colonel Robert Parker on the outside, which brings Slater out to brawl. And apparently he's eliminated by that. I'm not really sure what the rule that was there, but the referees tell him to bugger off. DDP dumps Scott Norton out. Ice Train hits power slams to everybody left before DDP hits a diamond cutter on Barbarian and the Ice Train and then Johnny Grunge. He pins Grunge for a three count, then pins the Ice Train, but Barbarian's had too long to recover and gets up at two. Um... They definitely leveled up the diamond cutter there. He laid out all three opponents and picked up two pins plus a two count on them, so, you know, one after the other. So that was a, a big moment for the diamond cutter, I felt. Yeah, but these are pinfalls in a battle royal, everybody. It's never announced <laughs> that pinfalls could happen. It was over the top, but no. Just pinfalls magically appeared out of nowhere. <laughs> Barbarian comes back with a clothesline for a two. Obviously, Barbarian and DDP are the final two. Uh, the tag partners lasting till the end. What are the odds? Barbarian gets a roll-up for a two, and then hits a fucking tombstone for a two-count. I know, that was, I thought it was like, the, it was like the, my note says it's, that was like Owen's tombstone, he nearly, broke, he nearly dropped on his neck. He did. Um, we had a sleeper from the Barbarian, but DDP hits him with a low blow. Barbarian hits a powerbomb for a two, but misses a top rope headbutt, and eats a diamond cutter for the one, two, three, so DDP is your new number one contender to the World Heavyweight Championship. Um, don't hold your breath for the match because they completely render all this useless the next night on Nitro, as I've already discussed a couple of shows back. But DDP at least gets a, um, you know, he moves up the card a little bit. So I guess there's one positive to come out of this whole debacle. Um, what did you think about the match? And do you think the tournament itself was had any chance of being good? Uh, not really. I mean, it could have been good if done differently. And again, we can play fantasy booker till the world's till the till the cows come home. But then again, if you did a fantasy booking podcast, it'd probably be four hundred hours long. Um, <laughs> yeah, it did well for the let's say the diamond cutter. That's a good point. I didn't really pick up on it. Really put that over, and obviously that's picking up steam. But yeah, it's just pointless. He DDP won. It was all glossed over the next night. Technically, he got his title shot at Halloween Havoc '98 two years later. Um, but then again, you think what could you have done differently? Could you could have had a when you've got the eight people should have been a four v four like elimination kind of match like last man standing. Anything, anything would have been better when you've got this, some of these. Like I said, went through the run through it all earlier, and the people who were in it, dire. Why would you not? Why would you not? If you were Rocco, Rock, Johnny, Grun, Scott, not an ice train team up and try and throw everybody out, and then go one on one against yourself with the prize on it. Well, logic never doesn't make a lot of sense, really, does it? 
No, this whole tournament concept was flawed. I've never enjoyed Battle Bowl. I, I, honestly, I think I've, I want to say I've watched two or three now since doing the podcast, and they've all been various levels of crap. So I'm glad this is, I think, a concept they get rid of. I think this might be the last one. I will stand to be corrected on that, but I think no, this is, is the last this one. Is, this is the last one. Fantastic. And Cody Giovanni gets who I mean. The seven foot, four inch, 472 pound. WCW heavyweight champion of the world, the giant. I'm going to talk to him in a moment tonight. He's going to be defending here at Slamboree against Sting. But before we get to that, Jimmy Hart, you are ner- you are really nervous. You're going to be handcuffed outside of the ring to the total package, Lex Luger. Please, Lex, listen to me. It's not too late. We don't have to be handcuffed together, baby. <sighs> oh, you look at you've dribbled all over the floor. You've made a fool of yourself. Now, Giant, let's talk about Sting. Here's a man that has been to the top of the mountain before on three occasions, on five occasions. Sting may have gone to the top of the mountain, but the problem is he's not on top of the mountain now because the giant's on top of the mountain. That means that I'm king of the hill. Sting, you can be hungry. You can try to take what's mine, but it's not going to happen. You've been a thorn in my side, a rat under my bed, a cockroach in my apple pie. Tonight, I exterminate everybody. You, Lex Luger, maybe even you if you get in my way. Wait a minute. Earlier on, you made a comment about Diamond Dallas Page. You said, bring on Diamond Dallas Page, the Lord of the Ring. Keep in mind, first things first, you've got to get by this challenger tonight. And a lot of folks are putting their money on Sting, quite candidly. They put their money on Sting. They're guaranteed they're going to lose. The only way to bet is to bet big and bet on the giant. Dallas Page, think about what just happened tonight. Think about what's going to happen to you. All right, that sets the scene for the big one here tonight as part of Slamboree. The Giant, the WCW heavyweight champion, is going to be facing Sting. Gene then comes out with the Giant and Jimmy Hart, and they cut a really bad promo. It's actually so bad. I'm going to splice some of it in here for everybody to have a listen to and tell me I'm wrong. I doubt they will. Um, It really revolves around a cockroach in an apple pie or some shit like that. So um, this is your world heavyweight title, uh, your world heavyweight champion about to defend his title, talking about a cockroach in an apple pie. What the fuck is going on? I know. A rat under the bed or a cockroach in the a- cockroach in his apple pie. Well, then that's <laughs> American service stations, I imagine, for you. <laughs> <laughs> The match itself was going to be Sting challenging the Giant for the World Heavyweight title. We get Michael Buffer doing announcements. Is this the, the first time he's appeared on pay-per-view, or has he been on previously? No, I think I've never, it's not something we've picked up on. I think usually, I think for, for, if the, the Buffer appeared, I think it's something we would definitely would have um, mentioned before. But then again, he might, I can't think whether he did. I've got vague memories of Uncensored. Me, oh, he did, cage. didn't he? He did, didn't he? Because he's the king of Hulk mania. Yes. Okay, fair enough. But Buffer does the announcements anyway, which is always still cool. Like, I know he, he botches a lot and got paid a lot of money to, to do this, but I still think he adds a, you know, a, a sense of gravitas to some of these main events. I know. And if you're being paid to do it, then why not? Absolutely. Lex Luger is cuffed to Jimmy Hart for this one as well, so that's an, another little side thing going on here. Um, Sting hits a crossbody but bounces off of the giant. Um, he rallies the crowd to get behind him, and then, like the stupid baby face, he is attempts a slam, which goes nowhere. Um, giant gets a two count off falling onto Sting. He then hits a back elbow and a low elbow before locking on a body scissors. 
uh, tosses Sting out of the ring and goes for the choke slam. Goes to choke slam Sting through a table, but Lex Luger puts Jimmy Hart on top of the table, and the Giant thinks better of doing that. No, no, Sting hit. That was a bit odd because if Giant's his beast, then why would he care? Yeah, you'd think he would just get it done and crush everybody and leave with the belt, wouldn't you? Yeah, like Ric Flair wouldn't have even thought twice about doing it. No. Sting hits a referee by mistake, and then Giant misses an avalanche in the corner. We get a Stinger splash. The Giant grabs Lex Luger, and Sting hits him four or five more times before he finally drops. Goes for the Stinger splash, but Jimmy Hart and Lex Luger pull away, and he lands lands his head to the Giant's balls. Um... <laughs> Sting hits a top rope splash for a two count and another top rope splash locks up the Scorpion Deathlock. Lex Luger and Jimmy Hart both wrestle over control of the megaphone and somehow accidentally nail Sting with it. This allows a giant to hit him with a choke slam and pick up the one, two, three. It was an okay match. It was better than some of the other crap we saw before, but it wasn't great. And that is the end of the pay-per-view. Yeah, it, um, I think 10 minutes is about good because obviously given how green... The, the giant is. Um, I just can't see, after the, what we're saying here, I can't stop thinking about Ric Flair having a choke slam in his repertoire. He just keeps having visions of Ric Flair choke slamming <laughs> people. Some creator wrestler stuff right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't an offensive uh, main event. It was. Sting did what he could. Uh, yeah. And the show. It was a, this was a pretty dull show. I've got to be honest. Um, the three hours of this show bored me immensely, and even talking about it today, <laughs> I, I hope it's not bored anyone too much. But it's not brought back fond memories doing this. Um, it's certainly, I just really hate this concept, and it's definitely come out in watching the show, in taking the notes and reading them back here. So, um, not one that I'd recommend. Let's see if Storm affected in your house beware of dog is enough to get over the line and beat on that. But before we go there, we are going to take a little trip down memorabilia lane. Peace, God. Peace, God. Now the shit is explained. I'm taking niggas on a trip straight through memory lane. It's like that, y'all. It's like that, y'all. It's like that, So that brings us to the halfway point of the show and it's the time where I ask you if you have any old piece of merchandise you can remember and you want to describe to the listeners. Um, There's nothing I think, obviously, I already did it with my Rock T-shirt. Obviously, I talked to Lee on Twitter and that now. I've kind of, as on a other podcast, which some people may listen to, I've started scratching my figure itch. As does Mr. <laughs> Cunningham, as you may see. I don't get to the level of taking photos and doing all that jazz. Uh, but now, just restarting restarting collecting, trying to find, much to my wife's chagrin, just trying <laughs> to find what I want to. Finding my niche. I thought it'd be easy, but then you, you go out there and you look around and it's like, whoa, this could get, this could get pretty messy and expensive. Yeah, 
there's a real problem because you, you pick up a figure and you think, oh, yeah, I'll just get, like, this golden era kind of figures, you know, I'll get a Hulk Hogan, a Bret Hart, whatnot, and then all of a sudden something out of left field comes out and you just love a Goldberg figure and you're like, oh, I could get some WCW ones, and then you end up, oh, well, I've got to have an AJ Styles if I've got figures, and, yeah, it gets messy pretty quickly. No, yeah, you see it like this, there's just loads, and then you be kind of, you go into some of these stores that are around here and they'll have... A lower price one, then you pick that up, and then he's like, "That was my problem." I picked up a D-Lo and Ken Shamrock Elite, and then I was like, "Oh, yeah, I'm gonna start getting some, just start getting Attitude Era." But then it digressed into where I got Berserker and something <laughs> else and something else, and I'm like, "Oh no!" And then obviously my wife keeps telling me off, but it's just rekindling my youth and scratching that figure itch. Both of which are very worthy courses. I am um, well and truly deep, deep, deep into the figure collecting game now. I have a lot of of them. Um, So I look forward to watching you progress and see if you end up the same way that I did after just getting one figure and deciding what I wanted to do. (laughs) It's gotten pretty out of control. It's like when uh, Christmas just gone when I had the, um, the new retro ring and like about six or seven of the retro figures and like my wife's family as I'm unwrapping them just looking at me in sheer disgust of like what are you doing <laughs> like you're th- you're 35 and I'm like I don't really care it makes me happy leave me alone oh the, actually that reminds me so I, I my garage now is just a single garage we've never parked the car in it because it's too small um, it's basically my toy room so I've got belts hanging on the wall football memorabilia um, all my autographs from different various things um, and five of these cabinets with figures in them now and um, they're pretty pretty well stacked up I have no idea how many figures I own and I've got a pool table in the middle of the room which is not used for pool because the room's too small again it's got a wrestling arena that I take my photos and whatnot on it my wife just absolutely loves to take people into that room just to show them how much of a child I am anyone that comes over she's like oh come and look in here like with utter glee <laughs> just <laughs> like <laughs> my man child of a husband come and look at what this dickhead does <laughs> sounds amazing to be fair Oh, it's great. <laughs> I do not care. She will not shame me into stopping. <laughs> Why not? Oh. The, the problem is, I mean, I don't know if it's over. You've got this whole if this whole um, KonMari thing of decluttering. Um, have you seen that? Like, getting rid of all stuff. My wife's got a bit of a like a KonMari hype. She's got her own, this, the woman who invented it has got her own show on Netflix. So my wife's all into that. And the next minute boxes just appear with wrestling figures in and I'm kind of doing the complete opposite of what she's trying to do. (laughs) We've actually been watching that show as well because we're having a massive declutter of our house. We've um, done some severe hoarding in the last four or five years and it's gotten out of control. So in uh, my defense, I was like, no, the garage is my room. It's this, it's that, it's that. Arguing with her. And she says, Lee, you've got junk in every single room in the house. No, I don't. No, I don't. And I realized I really do. So I've promised to declutter my stuff out of every other room to keep the garage. That's my, um, that's the one thing I won't give up. My childhood cave. <laughs> well, I suggested if we've only got like another 18 years to the children move out, then I can have a whole room to myself anyway. Exactly. There you go. A bit of forward planning. <laughs> well that'll do it for our memorabilia and merchandise talk today a little bit more current we're both definitely into the figure collecting game um love to hear everybody else's um 
figure stories and whatnot on Twitter as well. So do feel free to join in on the conversation. It seems to be a pretty common theme at the moment. We're all getting back into it and just doing what we love. So feel free to do so. And if you've been thinking about picking one up, go and do it. It ne- never leads to anything bad. <laughs> just divorce. <laughs> Crippling that. If you're single and you've got lots of money, you've got nothing to worry about. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Turn all the lights on! Take off the shoes, shoes, shoes. Uh, Ain't nobody gonna see nothing. Bring out the bulls, bulls, bulls. Baby girl, stop running. Ain't got nothing to lose. And I ain't gotta go to work no more Fuck that place, fuck my boss I'm about to ball, girl, what it costs I'm going hard I need some lights, it's way too dark Oh yeah, I'm going in And now I'm with my friends Let the party begin Turn all the lights on And speaking of leading to divorce and lots of debt, this is something that this pay-per-view could have done in your house, beware of dog. Um, it could have led to divorce, except for Clarence Mason nobly stepping in and declaring alienation of affection and crippling debt from all the refunds that they would have had to give after the pay-per-view and the storm went down like a lead balloon. Um, the actual pay-per-view starts with a video package on Shawn Michaels, the British Bulldog, and the Diana situation, and Jerry Lawler and Vince McMahon are your classic mid-90s commentary team. Um, we also get a video recap of Bob Backlund beating up on Mark Miro, so a way to get your new star over by having him get beaten up by a part-time old guy. Yeah, he's not the greatest star, old wild man. He has not. And we get going with the first match that actually went down okay in your first attempt at this pay-per-view. Triple H and Mark Miro, depending on what you consider okay. If you didn't like the match, then obviously you'd probably prefer the lights went out 10 minutes sooner, but they didn't, and this is what we've got. Doc Hendricks is backstage with Mark Miro and Sable. Mero does his really awful whisper-then-shout promo, which I never liked. I can never quite get the volume on the TV right when Miro's talking. And the match gets underway with a brawl to start off. A Miro plancher and a slingshot leg drop for a two count. Miro gets his shoulder run into the into the ring post, which allows Triple H to jump on and start working over his arm. A nice cross arm breaker. A high knee for a two count and some more arm work on the mat. Jerry Lawler tells us that Miro takes Sable everywhere he goes because she's so ugly he'll never have to kiss her goodbye, which I thought was a brilliant line, even though it's not really true. No. We get an arm bar from Triple H, a more va- various arm-based offense. Miro hits a victory roll for a two, and then a clothesline from Triple H gets a two. We get a top rope axe handle before Miro hits a top rope Hurricane Rana and a head scissors, and then the dumbest move in all of wrestling, the top rope sunset flip for a two count. Triple H argues with Sable, who of course not too long back was his valet for a night and it didn't work out. Miro blocks the pedigree and slingshots Triple H into the ring post, and that's enough for the one, two, three in yet another lame finish for this episode of the show. The woman that Hunter brought out with him was definitely a bit of a trading down compared to when he had Sable. 
again, another finish. I mean, going back to Royal Rumble with Drosy, Triple H, and it is akin to the time, always seems to have the match won, then does something stupid and loses. This case, had it won, then started arguing with Sable. He's not a very cerebral assassin just yet, is he? No, not quite. And it's just weird that, obviously, in the day and age now, where this week we had a transitional move of Drew McIntyre flapjacking Seth Rollins into the floor as a midpoint move. We've got a finish of a match where someone gets catapulted into a turnbuckle post. How wrestling has grown. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, not the best match. A little bit too long, which is something we didn't say on Slamboree. This went the opposite way and a little bit dull. Just too much arm-based offense for my liking. It never really went anywhere and Miro's offense never really changed as a result. So there wasn't enough selling behind all the work that was done. After the match... I've not liked this feud at all, to be honest. It's um, got DDP and Johnny B. Bad written all over it to me so far. It's one of those ones that just won't go away. Yeah, definitely. Then again, apparently my taste is not quite up to scratch because I think Steve Austin and Savio Vega is a feud that I do not want to see again that I couldn't stand it the first time around. (laughs) Uh, Vince McMahon tells us that the Smoking Guns won the belts back on the free-for-all from the Godwins, so interesting to see whether or not Sonny jumps back in with, the, in with the guns. I'm assuming she will do. And then we get Mr. Perfect with Jim Cornette and the British Bulldog and their entourage. I'll splice this in here, um, but basically the gist of this promo is Owen Hart has secured himself a manager's license and will be ringside with the Bulldog for his title match. Got to let me in on this. Got to oh. know I'm dying to know. Oh, let me tell you something, Mr. Perfect. There's all kind of bombshells going to be dropped tonight. If I told you what the big bombshell is, then it wouldn't be a surprise anymore. And Shawn Michaels would have a chance to prepare. And there ain't no way I'm going to let that happen because, Shawn Michaels, you've made your bed. You tried to get Diana in it, but now you're going to have to sleep in it by yourself. But I will let you in on one little surprise. You're a, you're a journalist. Here's the scoop, Mr. Perfect. Okay. I'd only give this to you. You see, I'm real busy tonight. Of course, Yokozuna taking on Vader. Got a lot of things going on with Camp Cornette. I want this man to have the undivided attention of a great manager. South Carolina has a very strict athletic commission. I went to them, and I procured for the King of Hearts, Owen Hart, the Slammy Award-winning Owen Hart, a legitimate and official South Carolina manager's license. And tonight, Owen Hart will accompany the British Bulldog to the ring as his official manager of record for tonight only, and he's going to make sure that the Bulldog has all the game plan in his head and goes on to victory. And then, when the other bombshell is dropped, (laughs) Shawn Michaels is going to have no recourse but to be broke, busted, and disgusted and leave this building tonight beltless, prideless, and friendless. We'll leave it to you, Jim Cornette. I know the big bombshell's going to happen. What's going on here, Cap Cornette, Shawn Michaels? Watch out. Back to you, Vince. The title switch um, was down to Sonny Shenanigans. Um, happened to watch it. Um, she kisses Billy Gunn, which distracts Phineas. And then Bart rolls him up, I believe. I can't remember what the finish did. But yeah, and then Sonny jobs off with the smoking guns. As she did at the time. Um, I actually I actually really enjoyed the whole Sonny managing whoever was the tag champion storyline back then. So I'm not too upset watching this play out. I kind of just wish it was on the show so we could see it. Yeah, true. But then again, you can only have so many Godwins. It feels like I see them <laughs> yeah. all the time. <laughs> 
The Bulldog comes out in the dark and Vince chats to us about the problems the show's having with the storm. And as we know, it does it takes a long, long time for those lights to come back on. Um, but they have come back on in time for this match. So obviously, as I said earlier, this is the main event. So all the other matches took place in between the one we just described and the one we're about to describe. So that's why... Um, this main event is taking place second on the card. It actually took place last, but it took place last on the first night. Doc Hendricks is with Shawn Michaels and Jose Lothario. He drops two classic Shawn Michaels lines. Uh, well, actually, two twice he tells us, I got news for you, and one classic, I don't think so. So Shawn Michaels' early 90s promo repertoire hasn't left him yet. And we're told by Vince that we're going to Tuesday night encore with all the matches we were meant to see. So he's scrambling before this show's even gone off the air. Ever the businessman, Vince McMahon, coming up with a plan on the spot. Yeah, if you listen to, um, was it Dr. Tom's Pritchard about this? He um, was saying how cool and collective Vince was, even though while, while it was still in darkness, which very uncharacteristic. Yeah, you'd think he'd be going off his nut, but apparently not. He kept it together. So well done, Vince. Yeah, you'd have thought he got all the jobbers out to hold torches or whatever. <laughs> Clarence Mason gets on the microphone and he tells us that Shawn Michaels is being served for attempted alienation of marriage. So I don't really think this is a law, but Clarence Mason is a lawyer and I'm not, so I will bow to his superior knowledge. No, it was a good. I think I thought it was a good little distraction, to be honest, for the start. Yeah, to, um, get the bulldog beat down straight in. Shawn Michaels tears it up, and then, as you said, the Bulldog starts beating him down. Um, we get some arm drags from Michaels, who goes for sweet chin music early, but the Bulldog powders to the outside. This allows Shawn to hit him with a plancha and work a headlock for a while. The Bulldog comes back with a bear hug. We get an enziguri from Shawn Michaels, who I found that a little bit callous, considering it nearly ended his career. He's just added that casually into his move repertoire now. Yep. Get a hip toss and a short arm scissors before the Bulldog comes back with a back drop and a cross back breaker uh, a Samoan drop and then locks in a chin lock we've been in the dark all night and please don't put them to sleep with rest holds here guys we need some excitement to wake this crowd up yeah so we see, ha- you know Sean starts kicking off and we got that this is where he, start, he starts moaning to Earl not selling the chin lock he wants this match to finish prima donna Michaels I actually didn't um pick up on it quite as heavily as you did. I could tell he was agitated, but I wasn't really sure what was going on, so I'm glad you put that in there. Michaels gets tossed to the outside, and then we get a slingshot clothesline, a head clash, and then a big forearm from Michaels and a kip-up. A top rope backhand will get him a two before the referee is bumped, and we get the top rope elbow. Owen Hart comes in, but eats sweet chin music, and then a new ref comes in and counts the three on a German suplex, but raises the British Bulldog's arm, saying Michael's shoulders were on the mat and the Bulldogs weren't, and he's the new champion, and we get that classic shot of Diana holding the belt. Surely Sean will let her hold it when he was bowing in there. <laughs> that wasn't the only thing she held. Yeah, Jose, give her that belt. <laughs> Oh, my God. The first referee comes back in and raises Shawn Michaels' arms and says, no, it's his. Um, Diana's holding the belt up for the thumbnail of the show and upside down, but she does look like a proper champion. Definitely worthy of carrying the belt. Um, Gorilla Monsoon comes out and takes it off, though the spoil sport um, confers with the referees and says, we've got a draw pending a rematch. Um, no, thanks. This was enough. Um, 
It's funny how the Bulldog and Bret Hart have such amazing chemistry, but the Bulldog and Shawn Michaels don't put on that same level of excitement. So this was not as good as it should have been considering the level of guys in there and Owen Hart being at ringside as well. And I don't know how much of that was to do with the, the issues going on, maybe disrupting the preparations or just they don't have good chemistry or Michaels as being a prima donna, but it wasn't what it could have been. And that's a disappointment because I like both these guys. Yeah, I think it was 75% Sean being a dick, 25% circumstance. Um, just very odd. In this, in like to see a match finish on a draw. Imagine if this was actually well, it was the end. If you'd have watched the rest of the event and this was the end, you'd be slightly annoyed, given the fact that in an Ironman match not that long ago it had finished in a draw and they had to carry on. So you would have thought it would have restarted the match rather than just finish it on nothing. Vince might have been cool, calm and collected, but he obviously didn't think, hey, these guys have missed most of the show, sat here in the dark, been super patient. Let's not give them a draw to finish on the only fucking match they're going to see for the rest of the night. Yeah, and then they did, obviously, when they thought when they thought Sean won, the place went pretty mental, and then they put Bulldog's arm up, which then is instant heat suck out, and the crowd aren't going to care anything after that, even with them running from Gorilla Monsoon. Yeah, so just a bit, that was... We've just gone for, obviously, this is weird. the weird time now of, like, Sean's gone, Diesel's gone. No, not Sean's gone. Sean's around, Diesel's gone. There's no real challenges, so they're doing stuff like this with the Bulldog, and it's kind of very hit and miss. It's similar to what they did with Brett when he won the title. They're just throwing people in and see what sticks. So they're obviously trying to make... The key thing is trying to make Sean look like a human being with the whole Diana thing and it being wrong, but... Is that much of a cock? It don't really work, to be honest. Yeah, it's hard to have sympathy for Sean not getting credible opponents when he refuses to play ball with Brett, when um, he wouldn't put Vader over for the belt, when the guy that he did let have that transitional run, Sid, he's on commentary calling him the world's most expensive piece of luggage and whatnot. Um, you're not going to have credible opponents when everyone fucking hates you. So, you know, yeah, it is what it is. From here, we get introduced to the pay-per-view. That's right. It's second time around, and JR welcomes us to Beware of Dog number two. I'm guessing after all the bad luck this show's had, there probably won't be a number three. And the commentary team changes to JR and Mr. Perfect, so a little bit of change of pace all around. Yeah, nice. In between the two shows, there was one storyline advancement. Um Savio Vega and Steve Austin had obviously already had the strap match in the dark and Savio had won, so he wasn't going to be DiBiase's chauffeur. On Raw, in between these two nights, DiBiase tells Savio he's so confident Austin will win this time that if he doesn't, DiBiase will leave the WWF. Yeah, nice. Then what will he do? Who knows? Hmm. I have no idea where he will end up next. (laughs) Austin ducks and weaves a little bit early on in this match before we get into a slugfest. We get a backdrop from Savio, and then a he starts whipping Austin, whipping him in the face with a strap, which was a little bit brutal. A vertical suplex and a spin kick before Austin gets back in control and begins whipping Savio. They brawl out. There's lots of choking, lots of whipping. It's quite kinky, actually, if you think about it. <laughs> uh, Savio Vega hits a clothesline. I still don't know why people like this feud. Um, as I said earlier, I just have always found it really dull. Uh, we had a superplex and then a spine buster. Austin jumps off the top rope to the floor, but eats a rail in a high spot I didn't see coming from Steve Austin. 
He then hits a pile driver before Ted tells him to go for one more, and here the storyline kicks in where DiBiase is giving him bad advice. Savio Vega, of course, reverses it, and Austin locks on the million-dollar dream. Savio Vega manages to touch three buckles while he's in it, and then Austin hits a hot shot, but Savio Vega um, touches the buckles whilst being hit with it. Savio Vega manages to touch it. Um, we get a tug-of-war, and then Aust- sorry, Savio is thrown into the fourth buckle by Austin. Ted's out of here. Savio Vega leads a chant of na 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 goodbye. And that's it for Austin. That's it for the strap match. So second time around. Still not my cup of tea, but everybody else seems to be into it. Nah, it wasn't hot. It wasn't horrendous. It was uh, pretty good. It was a pretty good match, to be fair. But then again, when they turn around and, again, classic wrestling, when one of the people says, if, you, if I lose, I'm going to leave, then he basically just gives it all away. Um, we're going to get the nice um, segue and obviously that Austin revealing that this was all part of his plan anyway to lose um, that's down the road uh, it's good that um, sucks slightly nonsensical it's a strap match no DQ DBS has put his career on the line but stays outside the ring when he could just come in yeah, just up, double team and just beat up Savio Vega which would have made more sense. I thought there was a nice little, we've not done much commentary notes, but at one point, JR says, um, talking about DiBiase leaving, JR says, would you want to be leaving the WWF? Mr. Perfect goes, well, not now. And then fast forward later on, and he actually does leave and go to WCW. <laughs> yeah, everybody does. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, but so no, that's... Was, um, I just thought I'd love, and I said this the last time, um, when we was reviewing Raw, just really good to see Austin wrestling this more fluid, hitting spine busters and things like that. Like so un-Austin moves to what we get used to. It just makes you re- feel how much he lost when he had his neck injury and how much of his repertoire and stuff he did lose. Yeah, definitely. He could absolutely go. From here, we go to... Shawn Michaels typing very, very slowly in what we're told is an AOL chat room. Um, I can only imagine that he's asking people for their ASL and seeing who's up for some private chatting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Mid-90s internet. It was great. Oh, God, yeah. And then we go to... Uh, next matchup, which is the Battle of the Behemoths, Vader taking on Yokozuna. They show replays of the old leg break angle earlier, and um, Mr. Perfect calls the whole being taken out on a forklift embarrassing, and I can't help but agree with him. That was a pretty embarrassing moment for old Yoko. Horrendous. Starts with a slugfest, um, and we get Vader powdering to the outside and stall, and my first note says, for a Tuesday night pay-per-view, this is certainly no Tuesday in Texas. Um. Vader chats a lot of shit early on, being a bit of a chicken shit heel. Uh, the third time of asking, they set up this NFL-style three-point stance, and Yoko knocks Vader out of the ring. Vader comes back in and punches the ever-loving shit out of Yoko Zuna before Yoko single-legs him and drops an elbow to the knee of Vader. So the story becomes here, Yoko's going to try and get revenge and take out Vader's legs. We get some mild Vader chants in the crowd. I really love heel Vader when he was a monster here, but it's interesting to see uh, the 96 crowd giving him some love as well. But then he really tries to heal out, hitting Yoko with an eye poke. Attempts a slam, and JR's nose grows as he says, 
I think the only person who ever slammed Yokozuna was Ahmed Johnson. Yeah, no, JR. That. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Yoko hits a rock bottom, followed by a Samoan drop. Cornette gets dragged in the ring from the apron. Uh, he goes for a bonsai on Cornette, but Vader saves him. Hits an elbow to the leg, and then a splash to the leg, and a Vader bomb for the clean one, two, three. Um, pretty cool that Vader's getting the win over Yokozuna here. Yeah, and to be fair, I mean, Vader's fairly fresh, not done a lot. He gave Yoko quite a bit, to be perfectly honest. He could have just steamrolled over him. Obviously, this is the dying embers of Yokozuna. Uh, yeah, it wasn't bad. It wasn't brilliant, but it wasn't terrible. It could have been a lot worse. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by this. I'm a really big Vader fan, and I've got a soft spot for Yokozuna as well. So, for me, this... You know, had good storyline, had good moves, had good action and a good finish. So, I liked it. Yep. We get a bit of a corny King of the Ring advert. So, it's still very, very cheesy um, 96 stuff here. As we know, the finish of King of the Ring will take us out of or begin to take us out of some of that cheesy stuff. But it's still very much here for now. Yeah, this, We're told I mean, this, be- was, the, this was the show which is obviously... Digressing two two weeks ago was the curtain call, or a week and a half ago was the curtain call incident, which screwed Triple H. And apparently, like this is the reading some trivia and whatnot. This the strap match was the match that made Vince have faith in Steve Austin. Spoiler alert: King of the Ring. There you go. That's going to be interesting then. So the curtain call takes Triple H out of the hot seat, and the strap match puts Steve Austin straight into it. Yep. Can you imagine? Can you imagine an alternate universe where those King of the Ring spots didn't get moved around and Triple H goes on to become the biggest star in the industry, but Austin marries Stephanie and secretly begins to run the company? Oh, yeah. Well, then again, Stone Cold would probably beat her up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I went there. I didn't want to. I debated it. <laughs> There's a moment's hesitation, but yeah, I think she definitely would have copped a stunner if she got out of line. <laughs> <laughs> We're told there'll be a rematch between Sean and the Bulldog, which, again, spoiler alert, I don't believe takes place. Um, the Smoking Guns to take on the Godwins again for the tag titles, and the Ultimate Warrior will take on Jerry the King Lawler, so that should be another instant classic. Oh, God, definitely. It does make me think, though, that there's going to be a big, big moment in the story, in that storyline to come um, for me to talk about on one of the Raw and Nitro shows very, very soon. We then go to what is not our main event, but essentially is the main event on the video version here now, a casket match for the Intercontinental title, Goldust defending against The Undertaker. JR says this is the first ever title match to first ever championship defended in a casket match. Again, he's wrong. Yokozuna and the Undertaker at the Royal Rumble. Yeah. And Mr. Perfect says that the Undertaker has never lost a casket match. Again, wrong. Yokozuna at the Royal Rumble. Yeah. Which was weird because the match before was a Yokozuna. Yeah. So um, it's not like they're protecting or avoiding talking about someone who's not here anymore, but it is what it is. They're just, both, I guess, weren't around for that pay-per-view, so you can forgive them a little bit, but do your research, guys. Yeah. Undertaker has the lights go out, and he stood behind Goldust. Um, he's all over him early, just beating the shit out of him. A back elbow, a clothesline, they brawl along the outside. He hits him with a slam, um, gives him a big leg drop, and old school. Goldust comes back with a slam, but um, botches his drop down to the mat uppercut. Undertaker ducks, but Goldust still slaps his leg to make the sound, so... Bit of a poor spot there. 
Goldust then hits The Undertaker with a tombstone. So that was a spot I did not see coming. Uh, we get a rest in peace chant. Goldust rolls The Undertaker in, but he blocks the casket lid being shut. Hits a big boot and some uppercuts before Goldust locks in a sleeper. Again, Undertaker blocks the casket before going in and seems to break the lid off. So that's going to make it interesting for the rest of the match here. Um, Undertaker hits a beautiful flying clothesline before Goldust hits a power slam and a top rope clothesline. Goldust attempts old school, but Undertaker hip tosses him off the ropes and hits the original tombstone, opens the casket, and out pops Mankind, who locks in the mandible claw, locks Undertaker into the casket, and Goldust wins, and smoke begins to come out of the casket. So another real highlight for Mankind in the Undertaker-Mankind feud here, and a decent enough match which didn't force them to put the intercontinental title onto the undertaker but also didn't force him to job to gold dust so what did you think about this one yeah it was um it was all right the problem is you've got gold dust and you've got undertaker two wrestlers synonymous with plodding and they both <laughs> plod so at one point i thought my telly had like gone at half speed um but no, it did. I remember, obviously, when this match is announced, like a casket match, Goldust, Undertaker, and you're like, whoa, whoa, what are they doing here? It's a bit kind of left field. Um, we never had, thankfully, a, an ending to Goldust Ultimate Warrior. They just moved on to Jerry Lawler. Uh, but it's a good way of getting Mankind involved. We have that. We have a brief weird going off from this Mankind-Goldust relationship, um, which doesn't last very long, but it's pretty enjoyable. Uh, apparently, obviously, mankind, kayfabe, was hiding under the hides under the ring for this spot, and obviously on the Sunday when the storm went out, he was hidden on the ring and had no idea what was going on. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, but no, it's good. It wasn't offensive. Um, the ending was a bit hokey. Obviously, when they open it up and it's gone, I hate that kind of rubbish. Um, yeah. But no, it was all right to be fair. That, of course, is the end of the pay-per-view officially on the video version. So the lights come up. Undertaker's not in the casket, as you mentioned. A bit of smoke come out of the casket and he's gone. At least we didn't have a hokey ascending to heaven this time around. <laughs> but as is always the case with Undertaker casket matches, there is still some supernatural shenanigans to be had. That will do it for In Your House Beware of Dog. It's now time for us to go over and decide on an awful battle bowl, which we struggled to talk about, and a rain-interrupted Beware of Dog, which they had two cracks at. Which of these two clusterfucks picks up the gong for this month's pay-per-view? So are you ready to do it, Carl? Yeah, let's do it. Right off the bat, we're going to start with production value, and I think it's pretty obvious WCW is going to pick up the win through um, no fault of the WWF's for the fact that the power went down, but if you can't even put your show on and all the matches take place in the dark, you can't win production value. So WCW picks up the win there. For me, what did you think, Carl? Yeah, the same. I mean, fair play to him for just, um, for redoing it again on the Tuesday and whatnot. But then it kind of like, and I didn't raise this earlier, but it kind of like meant that the other, like the Undertaker and Gold just kind of had then, had more of a like, a half show, half showy feel to it. It was a bit paid by numbers. Maybe, the Sunday it would have been different. I could have been wrong. It just felt like, well, we did Sunday, we did Monday, we did Tuesday. So it kind of may have affected the match quality in that regard. And like I say, fair play to them for, for redoing it and giving the people the matches that they missed when they could quite easily have gone like, oh, well, we tried. Uh, but yeah, you'd have to go to WCW because they actually had a full running show. 
And now we go to storylines. Who do you think picked up the win for storylines on the night? Um, I probably, I probably pick it as a draw. To be honest, I mean they tried to. WCW tried to incorporate all the storylines by putting the people in storylines on the same team, which was uh, slightly annoying. I mean, this was the um, the WWE show, the Mankind show. The Mankind Undertaker feud continued. Bulldog surely managed to stretch for another month. Wrapped up, wrapped up the Vader Yokozuna. Hopefully, wrapped up Triple H, um, Mark Miro. Um, I think. Store. I think it's both equal footing, to be honest. I went with the WWF for a couple of reasons. One, everything on In Your House had storyline advancement or finishing. Um, and two, WCW's main story, that the whole premise of the pay-per-view, DDP becoming the number one contender, was wiped out the next night. So for me, I went with the WWF, but I can certainly see where you're coming from with the draw. Um, two small crowds here. Who would you give the nod to on crowd heat for the shows? <clears throat> I'll probably say WWF edged it. I think they killed um, WCW killed their crowd. It was only really Conan Liger where they started to pick back up. We weren't really bothered about that finish. And in terms of whenever you put Shawn Michaels or The Undertaker out there, you're going to get a reaction. And for that reason, I think WWE edged it. WWF, sorry. I, I agree. I think the fact that the crowd had been sat in the dark for several hours and still popped more for Shawn Michaels and the Bulldog than they did for Sting and the Giant. Um, goes to show that even in the worst circumstances, the crowd were more into the WWF show than the abomination of Battle Bowl. Definitely. For characters, who did you go with? Um, again, <coughs> sorry, uh, again, WWF. Um, they're currently in the process of bringing out what is considered like one of the best characters of that of what's coming through in mankind. Um, you see an evolution of Steve Austin, Vader. If it seems to be like they're starting to, if you if you was to pick a time and start, if I was to start a podcast at a time when things began, this would I would, beware the dog is probably where I start because you're beginning to see Stone Cold ascendancy. Triple H to a degree, you can argue. And, you, and plus you've got Shawn Michaels floating in the background. This is where people are starting. And Mankind, not Steve Austin, Mankind, this is the beginnings. This is where things are going. Yeah, definitely got a point there. I think um, I went with a draw just because the two-hour show means there's less people on the show. And WCW managed to get just about everyone on. But they didn't put the Hulkster on. So they didn't get their biggest star on. And they didn't use them very well. So I couldn't really separate it on that that way which brings us to the last and most important category as always is match quality who do you think put on the better matches WWE by, by a landslide <clears throat> they um, you had a couple of good hidden gems like say in amongst um, I keep going to call it Battle Bowl um, in amongst what is it Starcade no um, Slambury Slambury sorry too many S's yeah, so you had like obviously the Steiners made that match. Conan, Juice, and Thunder Liger was bearable, but then you have even though Bulldog Sean wasn't brilliant, it was still better compared to its the people it's the, the people it, the show it was running up against. And for the same again, like Savio, a match with Savio Vega in, but Steve Austin carried it and got a good got a good match out of it. To be fair, so I'd have to give it to WWE. 
I'm the same. I think the the average is enough for the win here. Their average match was better than WCW's average match. And I'd rather have three, four, five decent matches than 15 matches with two or three good ones. So that's just my personal opinion. I'd rather two hours of solid wrestling than three hours of shit wrestling with a couple of gems sprinkled in, which means pretty easily, despite the fact that Beware of Dog was an unmitigated disaster, it still kicked Slamboree's ass pretty well. So... Um, WCW will up their game very, very soon and force the WWF to turn and chase, but this was not the night where that started. So big win for the WWF in trying circumstances and a couple of average pay-per-views that I'm happy to have in the can and move on to some much more fun stuff. The next time we see pay-per-view from WCW, the NWO angle will be in full swing. The next time we see pay-per-view from the WWF, it will be the coronation of the greatest star in their history. So... Some very, very exciting times to come. We just had to get through this last little roadblock first. What do you think, Carl? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I don't particularly have the greatest memories of King of the Ring uh, with the one Austin Winston perfectly honest. I don't remember it being particularly very good. Um, but again, hindsight, that was at the time. It might be better now going back watching it, looking forward to it. And I'd say it's, it's nice. And then things are starting to heat up NWO-wise. Um it just makes me. I was thinking back after doing this show and th- looking back and listening back to the shows we've done before. It's amazing how how bad WCW was pay per view wise. It was absolutely in the toilet, and I can see why this NWO why it picked up and why why it pushed them forward. Because God Almighty, it needed summer. It needed a big shot in the arm from somewhere. Yeah, until that that will improve until about sold out. I think now. <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to when we get to that one. I've actually never seen that, believe it or not. Oh, dear. So we're in for a treat, but that's a little ways away yet. Um, got a few good pay-per-views to come before we get there. Um, the back end of 96 for the WWF and into 97 actually has a few good shows littered throughout it. Um, sure, Michael's title matches get better and better as the year goes on here, so there's definitely some good stuff to come. So you and I need to get together a bit more frequently now and get these pay-per-views in the can. Yeah, well, I think we've got Mind Games coming up, which I can't wait. Ah, oh, big favourite. I love that match. Definitely. So that will do it for us today. Um, thanks again for coming on and, and joining me, Carl. Um, thank you for watching these pretty, pretty dull pay-per-views and helping me out with this one. Um, have you got much coming on lately that you want to talk about before we go? Uh, I've got to. I've got a couple of. Uh, Brit rest shows I'm going to. I'm going to one this Saturday in Nottingham. It's a debut WrestleGate, it's called. Um, Mil Muertes from Lucha Underground's there, uh, making his British debut, and then a host of British stars. Originally, we were going to have Chris Ridgeway versus Jordan Devlin, which I was really looking forward to, but obviously, Jordan's now been pulled due to other commitments. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that should be good. Um, it's nice that it's nice to have things a bit more down the road. So hopefully that will build from something. Then we've got a couple of um, another three things starting Sheffield way, which is isn't that far away to look forward to. Um, but definitely next time I'm on, give a brief synopsis of WrestleGate and whatnot. Let me know how I got on. Spread the word. Fantastic. Um, I, joke, I jokingly said I was talking to the then now whatever guys and said that. Imagine if one day I reviewed a Brit Rest show and you reviewed one of your Australian shows. How um, how angry all the people who are listening would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not one person would give a shit. 
Oh no, there's some ter- terrible wrestling in this country. I can imagine, but obviously Will Ospreay's trying to rebuild the scene over there. Single-handedly, apparently. Yeah, I'm disappointed. There's um, there's actually a tour. I, I, I don't know if it's just happened or it's about to happen that I went to last year and the Brisbane show didn't sell well enough so they went back to all the other cities and skipped Brisbane out which was really disappointing because I actually that was where I think I talked about it on the show but I got to see um, Ricochet for the first time and he took on Zack Sabre Jr. in the main event which was an absolute cracker and um, X-Pac and Austin Aries teamed up and Austin Aries threw a tantrum at the end of the match so some really good stuff all around that don't sound like him (laughs) but yeah um Definitely interesting. So, yeah, when we get on next time, we'll love to hear all about that and give a bit of a rundown at the start of the show. Yeah. Um, other, other than that, we can catch you on Twitter. And if anybody wants to chat about the show, do feel free to get in touch with us or talk figures, as we said before. Um, this show will hopefully come out, not that it makes any difference to anyone listening within the week. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've got some more stuff in the pipeline. Uh, Richie and I are going to be talking 1987 next. So there's a lot of wrestling to be dissected from that year and um i'll be back into some more raw and nitros on the way to our next pay-per-view episode so looking forward to all of that that would be good they've got you you seem to have taken on more and more you've been thunders nitros superstars yeah there's a superstars episode coming um i pretty much just did it as an excuse to start watching superstars since they uploaded it i am a big fan of early 90s WWF television. That's right in my childhood. So um, look forward to that coming up very soon as well. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, I'm enjoy- personally, I'm enjoying I got slightly addicted to the Sunday night heats that came on, to be honest. Yeah, they were good. They're good. I've done a few of them as well, so I'll get back into that at some point too. Yeah, there's some hidden gems amongst them. Yeah, I, I tweeted out today that I'm enjoying watching wrestling more than ever um, for the show at the moment because I've managed to watch the the pilot of SmackDown, the first few episodes of Heat, 1992 Superstars, and we're into the debut of the NWO now. So all this good stuff's happening at once. It feels like all the hard work we've put in watching some really diabolical wrestling is starting to pay off. Well, that's good because obviously if you, try, if you put on modern era WWE, you're back to diabolical wrestling again. That is true. Um, although I am looking forward to the Royal Rumble as I do every year and having two Royal Rumble matches now it does give me one wrestling show a year to look forward to. Oh yeah, it's definitely um, it's definitely a not miss Royal Rumble. That's where they get you. I always think, I'm always Absolutely. on the edge of looking, looking at my network subscription like, meh, but it always just seems to be around the time when Royal Rumble's on and I'm like, oh well I can't. And with NXT UK as well, it's kind of making it increasingly hard, literally the only things that I watch. And then whatever we've got review, yeah. of course. Yeah, absolutely. I watch classic wrestling, NXT, takeovers, and then whatever, you know, the Rumble. So hopefully it's a good Rumble and it kickstarts a bit of a change in things. The company sort of stopped, started lately with saying they're going to make changes and haven't. Um, but that's modern era. And if we're going to review that, it'll be 20 years from now. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you once again it. for getting on. <laughs> yeah, we'll That's still be doing this. Just sure. be me. Just me bumming Zack Ryder. <laughs> I'm not a big Zack Ryder fan. I much prefer Kurt Hawkins. Me. Ugh. I um, I, I I just take strong exception to them getting rare and valuable figures for a signed piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> just Fair my point. two cents. I I've paid a lot of money for some of them figures. Yeah. Anywho, that'll do it for us. So thank you. Thank you once again for jumping on, Carl. 
No worries. Happy to be here. And thank you all, <laughs> always. And thank <laughs> you all for listening. <laughs> and we will talk to you again very, very soon. Indeed. Now hit the rap song. <laughs> I'm alive, I'ma put it on, could've gone to jail Shit, thug, nigga, till I'm gone Way to Bronx, I'm flipping Five boroughs thoroughly rapping Let's unite the city and step to the world as a weapon Cause everybody's checking for puns, second to none Cause Latin's going platinum was destined to come The inevitable, heavily better than whatever you do We eligible to yes, it's incredibly credible For the revenue we getting you open with lyrical dope And these breaths that I'm quoting's like an injectional dose And it never quits Take it from T.S. to top terrorist Rapper slash hijack a bombing track Ever since I was young, I wasn't always big fun. It wasn't always as fun. Hey yo, I rose from the slums. I had to pay my due. Lay a few, but I ain't saying who. Staying true to the game. No names playing the cool. Just me and the crew holding it down. Long as we round, we gonna keep socking it to you like homie the clown. Going down like Pac, ready to ride or die, nigga. Da, 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 da. Blind, you came up, what, what, making it happen? We're rapping on the corner, the box, we going platinum. I'm still the same the way you remember me Since the centipede heart of Big Black I'm back in the 70s Try to remember me for my aggressive will The way I kept it real Is more important than any record deal I used to chill on the block with Cuba in the States I still do, but now it's in the blue Convertible 8, 50 My true niggas will always be with me The shifty kiss me, tell me they miss me Then try to diss me Cause I'm a risky crispy for life 60's the price Another 50 for the Cuban twisted and nice Niggas are shice But I psych them out Though they like to doubt I make them more believers once I let the Tyson out Cause I can vouch for only a few Only the crew From the old school I consider loyally true I'm morally groove From a fool to a scholar Follow the rules And how to spot a plotter That's cool for a dollar I wanna holler at my peeps It's repping the streets Wrestling the beast Suggest resting in peace Blessing my seeds And watching over us Till I die I'll align the souls of mine And shine for all of us you came up What what Making it happen Oh, okay.